Hello and welcome to the Knits Beyond Normal podcast. You are listening to episode 14. My name is Kate and welcome to the show. Today is, dun 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 dun, May the 4th be with you, 2016. So today is Star Wars Day, so we thought we'd start off the show with celebrating a little bit of the awesomeness of Star Wars. We'll definitely talk about that a little bit later in the show and some neat fun things that I found online regarding to the Star Wars universe. So since it is May the 4th be with you, go out and wear your cinnamon bun hair with pride, brandish a lightsaber if you must, but above all, sit down, enjoy the show. So this is a weekly podcast where I like to talk about knitting, yarn, zombies, dragons, space, all kinds of geeky things. If you're a new listener, I'm glad to have you with me this morning. And if you are a repeat listener, I love you and welcome back. So if you hear something you're interested in, as always, you can check out my blog at knitsbeyondnormal.blogspot.com. You can find my show notes there, as well as links to the websites for the shows, yarn companies, project patterns, or other things I might talk about on the show. I attempt to release episodes on Wednesdays each week. You can subscribe through iTunes, which is awesome. And if you want to email me, you can do so at knitsbeyondnormal at gmail.com. So go ahead, let's jump into the show. So we start off the show with the segment of Knitting Patterns Projects Oh My, and I have a success story this morning. I am done with my fun, fun, fun shawl, which is by designer Andrea Mowry on Ravelry. Three days late, but hey, still done. I did finish it up uh, last night. We were sitting there watching, actually, Labyrinth. We were introducing my son to the wonderful movie that is the 1980s classic Labyrinth with beloved David Bowie, who's no longer with us, and Jennifer Connelly, as well as all the Henson players from the Jim Henson studio. So my son had never seen it before. We all sat down and watched it. I finished my shawl, most importantly, which looks awesome. And again, I know I've talked about it a couple times on the show, but I love this pattern. If you are someone who is new to shawls, like I was, this was the first shawl I've actually knit. If you are someone who is looking to stash bust some different colors of DK yarn in your stash, I highly recommend this pattern. It is clear, it's easy to read, it's separated into sections, so it makes it easy to track where you are in the pattern. There's different textures to work with, especially if you haven't done eyelet work or say you haven't done seed stitch panels. It gives a great introduction and I think it is awesome. It was photographed well and the end product is perfect. Now I'm just looking for a shawl pin so that I can gift it to my grandmother. And I actually did that in a uh, three colors of Madeline Tosh DK twist yarn. Uh, I've talked about this before but I'll go ahead and list them one more time. I used Mockingjay which is a blue gray color as my main color. And I used almost exactly two skeins. So like I said, this is a great stash buster if you just have a couple of different colors. I used a contrast color of Flashdance, which is a bright purple, and a second contrast color of Midwinter, which is a blue with little flecks of green and purple in it. So it looked great. I'm super happy with it. And since it is now May, it is Mad May time on the Madeline Tosh Lovers group on Ravelry, which is so much fun. I was really mad at myself that I didn't finish my shawl on time because I wanted to jump in on the first, but I forced myself to finish the shawl since it has a deadline this month. So now that that is done and blocking, I can go ahead and jump into my projects for Mad May. I am at the moment winding yarn in DK Twist, the color Sweet Nothing, which is this beautiful, beautiful light lavender color. And I think it's perfect for a baby layette that I'm going to work on. So I will update you on that next week, but at the moment the yarn is currently being wound while I talk with you lovely people. And on the yarn front, ugh, I'm such a bad girl. So I had mentioned trying to be on a little bit of a yarn diet, 
with a few exceptions. Well, one of those exceptions arrived on Monday in the mail, and it was my yarn from Bohemia Fibers Tune Into Terror Club. I ordered their Daryl-inspired yarn from The Walking Dead, as well as one called Pookie, which was inspired by a screenshot of the characters Carol and Daryl standing together, and I can't wait to use them. Uh, not to mention that uh, the customer service from Bohemia Fibers was excellent. They responded to emails really quickly, and the yarn looks lovely. I can't wait to use it, so thank you. And on another note in regards to yarn acquisitions this month, I got commissioned to make another baby gift project for yet another little one joining the world this in the next couple months. So I had to order the colors they wanted as they were pretty specific on what they were looking for for this gift for the person. And I had to order that, and because there are so many lovely colors up on MadelineTosh.com right now, I had a heck of a time choosing a couple that I wanted to add to make the order a certain number. Because, you know, if I'm ordering anyway, and you have to pay so much to get free shipping, of course I had to order more than I needed. But I can't wait to see my purchases in a week or two when they show up. I have some great colors, and then I have the yarn for the third baby project, which is going to be the commission. But until then, like I said, I'm going to be starting baby project number one for Mad May for the baby uh, child stitch along. And that is going to be most likely, because I'm not positive, I have until I finish winding these balls of yarn to decide, the Silver Fox Cardigan, uh, which is a baby cardigan that has some beautiful cables, and it looks like fun. I haven't knit it before, but it's been in my favorites forever, so I can't wait to start. So I will keep you updated on that, and I also may be doing another project for Mad May. I'm crazy ambitious. Who knows if I'll have time to complete one of these, let alone all of them, but a cowl for a friend of mine in a beautiful Madeline Tosh yarn in the color Mill Pond, which is a lovely rich green. I just, I love this color. It's definitely her color, and I am thinking to make a cowl for her out of it. Okay, on to our Geek Files segment. I apologize this week may be a bit of a short episode as I'm trying to squeak in a recording here in between all the different things I have to do today. Normally my days off are pretty mellow. I do the show, I do different things, but today between a doctor's appointment, appointments for my son, him having a short day at school, I, I was lucky to carve out one hour just to do the recording and I'm hoping to get it edited and posted tonight after he goes to bed. So this episode, I apologize if it's up a little bit late compared to usual, but such is life and it kind of attacked me today. So on to Geek Files. Fear the Walking Dead. We have an episode to discuss. Episode 3, Blood in the Streets. Actually, is this episode? I'm sorry, this is episode 4, Blood in the Streets. Last week was Ouroboros. So this is the episode that, if you have not seen this, spoiler warning as always, this episode is getting a little better. Now the thing about this season is each episode seems to be just a little bit better than the last. I'm still having trouble with some of the characters, but it seems like each episode we kind of get a little bit more of fleshing it out. It just seems like we should have been caring about these characters more last season, and that would have made this season much easier to jump into. But anyway, we got some of Strand's, Victor Strand's, backstory finally. This mysterious person who saved her crew, got them on the yacht, had this millionaire mansion on the beach, well, supposedly had, and he is a con man, ladies and gentlemen, and apparently lost a bunch of money in when Hurricane Katrina hit in the past. We see his memories where he seems to con a rich real estate developer who later tracks him down 
only to find that Strand used the money he stole to recoup and build new investments. So he's not your run-of-the-mill thief con man. He apparently is very charming and persuasive and knows how to get what he wants from someone, but he wasn't doing it just to violate someone. He was doing it to try to recoup an investment, and he actually even states that he planned on paying it back once he got the money from his new investment. This intrigues the gentleman that he robbed, who is Thomas Abigail. Hence, we finally know where he got that yacht. Abigail takes an interest in Strand as a partner and as his partner. We also meet uh, Luis, I believe his name is, who is the bodyguard of Mr. Abigail. And we see through Strand's recollections that the guy that he stole from ends up being a pretty important part of his life. They don't really tell us everything, but you get a pretty good idea that he was involved with Mr. Abigail. And one thing I think is awesome with Fear the Walking Dead is that they do have a lot of diverse characters. We have um, we have a character now that is in a relationship with another man. We have a, I believe it's Maori. Maori. I apologize. No, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, so I apologize for that. But we have his his family. We have a family from El Salvador, as well as the Caucasian family. So I think that it's this show's doing well that it's representing um, a lot more diverse characters versus just a cast full of Caucasians. So I think that's great. Jumping around a little bit on this episode, because honestly, it felt like it jumped around. Alicia's mistake with the radio from the first episode finally comes back to bite everybody in the butt. So they get boarded by what looks like two men and a pregnant girl that claim that she's in distress at night when everyone's sleeping. But as soon as they get on board, they pull guns. It's revealed it was a big ruse. The girl herself is pregnant, but was not in distress. And they take the yacht hostage. Strand happens to notice this before he comes into the room and tries to escape using the inflatable raft. The pirates aren't having this, though, and fire a few shots at him. At first, you're unsure if he was hit or not, but you can tell that they did hit the raft, which would cause it to lose air. So whether or not he was hit, he's not going to last very long out on the ocean. And then the the actions of the character Alicia in this episode were interesting. They were a little hard to fathom. And there's been a couple different theories. Some people think that the character just is that simple and is acting merely on a teenage standpoint where the guy that she's talking to, she's alone in the world, he does turn out to be a good-looking younger man, and so she's trying to jump to that side of the camp now to be with him. But some people think that she's playing the the lovesick teenager cart to use later on. But we won't see that yet because we don't see the end of the story in this episode. But either way, she gets on Jack's good side, so she doesn't get left with all the other hostages. They take Travis, however, to the engine room to start to start the boat without the keys, since presumably now the keys have sunk with Strand. So Travis spends most of the episode trying to hotwire the boat, which he eventually does. Unfortunately, this not only keeps him alive, but it proves him useful and a good hostage to take. Alicia and Travis are then taken by the leader of this group in the morning, who is a man named Connor. They are taken off the boat to another location we don't know where. At this point, when Alicia and Travis are taken off the boat, the two stories coincide. And the other story that we got to see here and there through the episode was that Nick was not on the yacht when they were boarded by the pirates. He had snuck off sometime in the night to the mainland to do a mission for Strand. 
He is walking around in what we believe to be San Diego or some other area down on the south of the coast. And he is sent to find Luis. And now Luis is still alive. He's holed up in an abandoned development that has gates. And he has been waiting. So this is who this is who Victor has been talking to on the phone. This is so we think, because it's the way he speaks as they've been in contact. Luis knows a lot about Victor, a lot about Mr. Abigail. But apparently he did not know a lot about all the company that Victor was bringing with. He thought there was going to be two people crossing the border, which could have just meant he thought himself and Victor, not or Victor and Nick possibly were not really told what he thought. But he, so Nick brings him back to the boat, and luckily they show up just in time because Luis has a sniper rifle that is able to dispatch the guards that were left behind on the boat. They get back on the boat. And where's Victor? We have to find Victor. At first they think he sunk, but at the end of the episode we see that he is just barely clinging. His raft held air for a certain number of hours. And then Madison finds him before he drowns. So there's a lot of question raised by this episode. Next week they're obviously going to have to deal with the fact that Alicia and Travis are gone. Are they going to just leave them be and pick them up later in the season? Are we going to meet more survivors that are going to be more involved? Are they just going to go lay waste to this other camp and get Alicia... Or does Alicia actually want to stay? So I think there was a lot of good questions. We're still getting, we're still getting character development. I uh, unfortunately I feel like some of the best written and played characters are being underused, possibly in an attempt to bring up morale on the others. But unfortunately, I wanted to see more of Daniel Salazar in this episode. I felt like him taking as long as he did to get free was ridiculous, considering the strengths of his character. I felt like. We, Ophelia had a little bit of character in the beginning and then was promptly forgotten about for the rest of the episode. And Strand spent most of the episode in flashback, which worked well for the story point. But then again, I still have yet to care about Madison and Travis. I have come around a little bit on Chris. Madison, Travis, and Alicia, though, I need a reason to care about them. And I, I need for, I need something that is that is going to make me invested in their plot lines. Everyone else is definitely coming around, but we shall see. So I'd love to know what you think. Guys, jump on the comments on my blog. Uh, send me an email. Uh, if there's things that you think I got wrong, if there's things that you want to talk about about these shows, jump, shoot me an email, jump on the blog, leave a comment. I would love to get a dialogue going. Second show we have to discuss, which is another big one, Game of Thrones Episode 2, called Home. Now again, spoiler warning, if you have not seen Episode 2 of Season 6, titled Home, just skip this part, unless you're cool with spoilers like me, and then listen away. So, number one, to start off the way I did last week, Jon Snow is still dead for 99% of the episode. Unless you've been living under a rock, you are aware of what happened in the last minute of the episode. I am so happy. So happy. I loved this character. I'm so happy. And I actually liked how it was done. It it definitely... They are using a lot of images that have been used in art and things regarding the resurrection of Christ. So the way they have the corpse dress, the way they trim his hair and his beard and clean his wounds, 
we we have Melisandre who has been now been commissioned by Sir Davos to try and resurrect him. And I think a lot of people saw that coming. That was definitely something that was written about quite a bit on the fan fiction forums. It was gift all over Tumblr. This was something that a lot of people thought was going to happen. We've seen Melisandre do a lot of things, and basically, Davos almost is almost channeling the fan voice. I mean, you if you look at it that way. We've seen you do all these miraculous things. We don't want to lose Jon Snow. Can you do it? Are you willing to try? And she does. And even she doesn't think that she's going to be successful. She she has been, you know, she's doubting now. She was such a faithful follower of the Lord of Light. And now she's in a position where she doesn't know if all these things that she trusted so much are really for real all these visions all these things but she agrees to do it and what happens is you know throughout the episode you see the different parts of the ritual her frustration the hopelessness of the people that want him to live and everyone gives up except for faithful ghost ghost I loved actually the scene with the wolf I felt like ghost was much better used in this episode than a lot of the dire wolves have been for the entire show the connection with the wolves and the Starks is an important part in the books, and it's it's a lot more prevalent. You understand it more in the books, whereas in the show, it's it's just something I think that's harder to convey in a visual format versus literary, especially in a story as complex as the Song of Ice and Fire. So Ghost just is the one that stays to the end, and he's the one that knows first before the before the last scene, before he even twitches. Ghost goes from sleeping to sitting up and we saw how sad he was before so that's the I thought that that was the best part of that scene for me but anyway to jump into some of the other storylines because the the scenes were still jumping around they were jumping around quite as much as they were in the previous episode but we still touched on several different stories we have Sansa and Theon who are up in the snow talking with Brienne and Podrick you get a sense that Sansa kind of lets on that you know, Ramsay was basically Ramsay, and she, you know, regrets that she hadn't gone with Bran when she had the chance. But now they have to decide where to go, because Ramsay will still try to hunt her down, and despite the fact that Brienne's now there to protect her. But there's still only a few people, and Ramsay has all these men. So they, it sounds like they're heading up to Castle Black to see John, which may actually now be a possibility. Before, that was just such a, a hopeless endeavor, and now it's actually something that might help them. But Theon doesn't seem like he's going to go. Theon thinks that, you know, he he did what he needed to do. He got Sansa to a safe place. He got her protected. He, you know, he got her to someone who's going to care for her far better than he could. And he even states that, you know, in his weakened state with everything that Ramsay did to him, he's not capable of protecting her in the way that Brienne and Podrick are. So where's he going to go? Home. And then we flash to the Iron Islands. Now, this is a storyline that a lot of people forgot about. The, the Iron Islands have been going on. And in the books, again, this is something that you see quite a bit more because you have more time, more pages, more point of views that they deal with. Theon's father is sort of losing it. He's, you know, I don't know if I want to say Alzheimer's, but he's very angry. He's lost so many of his children. And he's really only left with his daughter, Yara, who is the warrior girl of the Iron Islands. But she tried to save Theon. She wanted to, you know, she wanted to go after him, whereas the father has basically written him off since he was the ward of the Starks. So for Theon to go home, he's going to go home at a really interesting time because we see that Euron has returned. And then we also see the death of Theon's father. 
And then we see the fact that Yara is not going to be automatically passed the title to rule the Seastone Chair. She actually has to participate in a king's moot, which is where they're going to choose the new king. And those of us that have read the books, we, we knew this was coming, even though they changed the names of Yara and everybody. But this is going to be an interesting plot, and I'm actually glad that they're going to be doing it. A lot of people weren't sure if they were going to bother with the Iron Islands plot unless it needs to jump in with the other plots. But I think to send Theon home at this point so that he can be a witness to what's about to happen there with his sister is an interesting angle, and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it. Uh, we have, let's see, we have the horribleness that is Ramsay Bolton. Like I said before, people thought they hated Joffrey. Ramsay is horrendous and just as bad and has no one to rein him in. It's just hideous. Him and Joffrey were definitely born from the same evil spirit. But so, uh, Lord Bolton's wife, uh, Walda Frey, I believe, she gives birth to a boy. And in the minute Ramsay realizes that his father has a new heir, a legitimate one, he realizes that he has to do something now, and he assassinates his father. And he does it in a very quick, unplanned way. I honestly don't believe that he planned to do it at that time. It may have been something he was plotting to do, but, you know, when he realized it before anyone knew, he had to take that action. He obviously has an ally in the man that's with him, I believe. It's one of the Karstarks. And then he scares the maester into lying about what happened to his father. Then we have a horrible scene, which honestly, I wished they hadn't done. This scene, I mean, I'm guessing it's just there so that you will really hate Ramsay, so you will cheer when he finally gets it, because I'm sorry, but he better get it in the end. But Ramsay has to get rid of all the loose ends, and he, the tension in this scene, from the minute he sends for his stepmother and the baby, you know it's done. And she, under, she understands immediately when she realizes that Lord Bolton is dead. I think she does not know at first. She would never have gone out there in the first place. She would have left like Sansa did. But she goes out there and realizes that Ramsay is there to eliminate her and her son. So he, and he toys with them. My goodness. And you even, you know, they die in a horrendous way. I'm not going to discuss it. Watch the show. It's, it's just awful. And... I mean, the mom and me just like, okay, I don't, I don't want to see that. They could have just mentioned that he'd gotten rid of them. I would have rather they not film that scene. It was pretty upsetting. Anyway, but on to other things. We have back in King's Landing, we have Tommen forbidding Cersei from attending Marcella's funeral. This makes her very angry. We also see that her uh, Frankenstein henchman is out hunting down her enemies. And I think this is a foreboding kind of way that could go badly, such as like, you know, the Terminator, you know, where he's... He thinks he's doing what he's supposed to, but because he's incapable of processing on certain levels, this could go awry very quickly. Such as, like, her having an argument with, with Tommen or something, and then Strong thinking he has to protect her from her son. I could see this going badly in so many ways. Tommen apologizes to Cersei, though, and that he is feels guilty that he wasn't able to protect her from the walk of shame. And we see that he really is coming from a place of trying to do the right thing. Unfortunately, you can see his doom coming so far down the road that it's just, it's very foreboding every scene that he's in. And then we jump over to Arya and Bravos, who gets another chance at her stick fighting. But she defends herself a little bit better. She still gets, a, you know, a lot of the crap kicked out of her, but she's doing a little bit better. And we see the faceless man wearing Jockin's face today 
offering her an out. He's basically tempting her. Like, you can leave. You can stop this. All you have to do is say this word. And But she, Arya, stands fast. And in return, we see that he's going to let her eat that night. Or possibly advance further in her training because she passed a test. I think this is important. The Arya scenes, a lot of people think that it's we can't feel sorry for her because of how horrible everything else going on is. But Arya's scene is one that I think is going to pay off in the biggest way at the end. So some of her training that we see that may not be as dramatic as some of the other scenes that are going on with the other characters will eventually have the great payoff. Jumping over to another character that we haven't seen a lot of that there was quite a bit of fan, I wouldn't say uproar, but a lot of like rumbling because the actor playing Bran suddenly shot up from a childish-looking preteen to a long, lanky teenager. They cut his hair. He looks very different. He's just one of those one of those boys that doesn't really look like the child once he hits puberty. He looks very different. Some child actors, you can still see the child in them all the way up. They don't seem to age as quickly. But the actor playing Bran... He, do, he changes. So we have him up with the Three-Eyed Raven. We see that the Three-Eyed Raven is teaching him how to go into the past with his visions. And he's able to, we're able to have a really neat scene where he gets to see his father and brother and Aunt Liana as children. Almost as the, like the first scene we saw with Bran and Arya and Rickon in the courtyard at Winterfell. We see Winterfell in its heyday. We also see that Hodor was different. As a, as a child, that he has giant's blood, but that he could speak, that his name was Willis, that he was not always as he is. And so there's a big question of what happened to him. How did he get like that? And then we get to see Liana, which I think this is great. Uh, Liana seems, uh, the child version of her, is like a combination of Arya and Sansa. You know, she has the long hair and she's she's very cute, but we also see that she's riding the horse and that she's, you know, she's like Arya was when Arya shot the arrow for Bran in the beginning. So I, I really liked that, but on the other hand, we don't really see... Like, we want to see more of it, and we almost feel the same way Bran does when he's yanked out of the vision. Like, no, 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 show us more. What was the point? But then we we jump over to a scene with Tyrion, who's been marooned in Marine, and Tyrion realizes that Danny's dragons may be the key to some of the trouble that's going on. Maybe to finding her, to settling the unrest in Marine, to defending Marine if the new maesters that took over the other cities are coming back. But he, Tyrion seems to know a lot about dragons, and he goes down with them. And even Varys isn't like, I'm not going down there. But he proves his point that they are intelligent where he gets one of them to stand still long enough for him to free the neck chain. And when the other one sees that, it lowers its head and actually, you know, says, okay, you let him go, my turn. So he proves that, you know, they're intelligent enough to realize that he was there to free them. And this may pay off later in the end. Is Tyrion going to be a dragon rider? Who knows? So that's the Game of Thrones recap this week. Um, so many questions. I think, you know, is Sansa going to live? Is she going to come into power? Are she and John going to come back and right some of the wrongs to their family? Uh, Arya's training, you know, how is she? how far is she going to get as a faceless? We have, um, you know, Tommen. How long is Tommen going to survive? What's Cersei going to do? Jamie is, you know, ready to go on the rampage. We have so many, so many fuses about to blow up this powder keg. So this ought to be a pretty good season. I'm excited. And in random roster this week, a couple things that I thought I would I would go over since today is May the 4th be with you. Okay, Etsy is one of the coolest places to find things that you never realized you wanted. 
So a couple things, since it is May the 4th Be With You, some of my favorite Star Wars things that I found on Etsy that you can grab for yourself. Everything from nursery art, where they take cartoon versions of your favorite Star Wars characters, to there's, let's see, what, what else I found? There's a locket that you can get with the droids' faces in it, C-3PO and R2-D2. I mean, that's awesome that you can get. One of, another thing that I found, too, is since Disney and Star Wars are now so closely entangled, you can get, there's an Etsy seller, um, Littlest Bow Shop, with an E at the end, that makes a headband that has mouse ears made out of fabric that is black with C-3PO's face on it, and a gold bow. So these are mini mouse ear headbands, but they have C-3PO's face on the ears. Super cute. I found uh, onesies for those of you with infants that have all the different Star Wars characters. There's even some for all the knitters. There's dyers out there that make like geek yarns. There's the first one that I found, which was a C-3PO goldenrod yarn by Two Gray Dogs Designs, which is T-W-O-G-R-E-Y-D-O-G-S-D-E-S-I-G-N-S. And she's got a C-3PO yarn here that is very cool. It has different flecks of color as well as the goldenrod you'd expect. She also has, it looks like, Game of Thrones, Ninja Turtles, a Tatooine yarn. So I would definitely check out this seller. Looks awesome. And because, unfortunately, I am going to have to run in just a moment, we're going to jump right into my list for, the, for this week. And this thing, I thought I'd do something funny this week, is these are five things that you find in your kids' pockets when you do laundry, at least in my house. So in my house, the child is, is a boy child, but, you know, you may have different versions of this when you go through your girl child's pockets. Number five, marbles. We are at the age of collecting little things. And lately, I find a marble of some sort at least once in every load of laundry. Number four, Legos. I have Legos in every crack and cranny of my dwelling, I'm sure. Uh, Legos are awesome. Don't get me wrong. My son builds the coolest things. They keep him busy forever, but they are everywhere. And now the pieces get so itty-bitty, and we won't even go into the stepping on them barefoot in the middle of the night pain, okay? Number three, little rubber critters. Usually these are things you get from gumball machines when your kids plead for you. Uh, this last load of laundry, about a half hour ago, it was a rubber, a little rubber lizard, you know, about the size of, like, my pinky finger in a pocket. Number two, uh, sticks and dirt. Uh, rocks. I have no idea where my son picks up these things, and even by the time I ask him, he's usually forgotten, you know, and you get the child, I don't know. But little rocks, sticks, and dirt. And the number one thing that I seem to find in my son's pockets is pennies. My, my child thinks pennies are lucky. We, we taught him that, you know, pick up a lucky penny, and he has a piggy bank, but we generally seem to have some sort of disconnect between putting the penny in the pocket and actually making it into the darn bank. So we're, we're working on that, but hopefully, you know, his, his saving tactic will stay with him through life and, you know, shoot, serve him better later on as he gets older. Anyway, what kinds of crazy things do you find in your kids' pockets? Other other things that we don't find all the time but are honorable mentions. Let's see, a, uh, a pill bug. We found a rolled-up pill bug one time. We found a M&M. Alrighty, well, it's been great talking with you guys. I Hopefully you will have a great week. Let me know what you think about what's going on. If you're doing anything cool for May the 4th, definitely jump on the blog and tell me about it or shoot me an email. And I will talk to you next week. And to sign off, as always, remember that the best place to be in life is always a little bit beyond normal. Have a good week.